everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, Tim Ryder from the Apple, joined by a special guest. You may know him as Jack. You most likely know him as Jolly Olive. He's co-host over at Shea Station with friend of the pod and former Mets reliever Jerry Blevins, uh, part of the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the John Boy Media Group. Uh, new podcast is Shea Station. Jolly, welcome to the show and congratulations on the new gig, my man. Great introduction, man. That was extremely professional. I loved it. I, I'm I'm doing good, man. I, all things in life are good, except for the Mets performance, which, you know, I guess something had to give. But outside of that, it's been very fun being a part of John Boy for the past couple of months now. So it's been good. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, rapid growth there. Um, I, you know, the show started. And I think everybody had higher hopes for where the season was going. And, mm. and uh, yeah, things have sort of taken a... Uh, a downward turn in recent uh, recent weeks. Uh, yeah, what, what, what's your take? There hasn't been a lot of good Mets baseball to talk about ever since it started. I think the one series we we won when Shea Station was active was, was the Nat series, and we had a we had a little gag that was uh, the Mets are three and zero in the Shea Station era. That was a. Uh, <laughs> you know, getting good reception every night. And then, you know, they lost uh, two of 12. I mean, they lost 10 of 12, excuse me, not two of 12. So since that it's, it's been fun, but it's kind of hard to grow a Mets podcast and also happily cover a Mets podcast when they're mired in a slump like this. So it's been challenging. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think everyone knew what was to be expected heading into a very, uh, a gauntlet like, uh, couple of weeks between the Dodgers and the Giants twice a piece. Right. Um, yeah. You know, the Mets had their opportunities, but they, they kind of let them uh, let them go to waste. I think uh, 95 left on base so far in the series. <sighs> That's uh, a number. Yeah. Hitting 149 with runners in scoring position. It's not going to, you're not going to win games that way. It's just, you know, it's that yeah, and I, I honestly think I would have been able to digest this whole thing better if like they had all been like five, five run losses or just blowouts. <laughs> but the fact that there's been so many one run games in these games where we have so many opportunities to come back, but it's, it's just been incredibly like, I, this is the most frustrating stretch of Mets baseball that I can remember in like the past uh, five years at the very least. Oh, from where it started to where it is now, most yeah. definitely. Oh yeah. my gee, just why it's been a, a slow train wreck, and you watch the, yeah. you can't you can't look away. <laughs> Absolutely, um, it's uh, you know, I guess just because it's most recent, it's fresh in my mind. Wednesday night, um, you know the Mets again most certainly had their opportunities. Uh, one of the decisions that Louis Rojas made is taking out Taiwan Walker. It's been mm. a lot made of it. Um, it. Do you think that's of course, one decision is not going to contribute to a loss, but do you, do you think that's where the game was lost on Wednesday? Yeah, I, I want to preface my, uh, I guess, uh, take on the situation by saying that this isn't the decision that lost the Mets the game. It definitely could have helped them win the game. But when you go two for eight with runners in scoring position and you put up two runs on double digit hits, you're not going to win the game in general. But yeah. I will say I uh, it was the first time in a while because I've been a I'm not a huge like managers shift, you know, the entirety of, of the narrative of a season or whatever. I think if they do their job correctly and they're able to manage players and, you know, sort of nurse chemistry and stuff like that, then that's, you know, a good manager. And I think Luis Rojas has done all of those things. I think his in-game decisions haven't warranted much scrutiny for the most part. But yesterday was one of the few times where I was decently angry with Luis Rojas. Uh, and I was more angry at, you know, the, just the game of baseball. Uh, just cause a little dink for a single and a booted ball by VR, 
uh, that was it. That was all it took to get Taiwan into the game. And like, I know first and second in the seventh inning is daunting and Ty's numbers aren't great third time through the order, but he's just been improving so much these past few starts. And yeah. he looked so confident yesterday and he had plenty of pitches uh, like left in the tank. And I was gearing up for like an extra inning game. So I was like, you're probably going to need loop in the, in, when we inevitably go to the 10th and there's a runner on second, I would have much rather had loop there, but, uh, if it was anybody else other than loop coming in this decision, I think it's magnified and it's talked about way more. So like Rojas brought in the right guy, but he got the wrong result. Unfortunately, it was just that first pitch that Crawford just kind of jumped on him. Yeah. Oh, and the numbers point to it. Uh, that was the first extra base hit that loop had allowed to a left-handed hitter all season, all season. That's a, oh. an insane stat. It really is. And you know, he, he's been a godsend and, and you know, it, the, it's not necessarily like you said, it's not the wrong decision to go to loop there. Um, right. I, I get I get the frustration. I get Taiwan Walker's frustration, of course. Um, you know, he, he's dominating and, yeah. uh, you know, coming out there's got to be tough. But, you know, and I hate to I don't want to lay too much blame on Pete Alonso. I mean, you can't expect somebody to get hit in every bat. And he's been on a tear lately. Ten game hitting streak. He's hitting yeah. like yeah, he hit OPS well into the 900s over that span. Um, you know, he came up, I don't want to say came up empty because the, the, the E5 that scored the tying run in the fifth um, was, was helpful. But, yeah. you know, Pete Alonso's coming up with bases loaded twice. Uh, you'd like to see more production out of him in those spots. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's I don't want to, because you can't, like, analyze if a player is clutch or not. I don't really believe in that. I just think you come up in some situations and sometimes you don't, but with uh, it, it was infinitely frustrating one to see them load the bases and let it go again, because they've struggled so much with bases loaded, but two, you have, you got the two guys coming up that were the exact guys you want in that situation. Nimmo, who fell behind early and worked a great at bat and got on base. And then Pete, Pete is the guy you want up with the bases loaded two out in the ninth and you're down one run. Cause you feel like he's going to put the ball and play hard somewhere and just at least give you a chance. And Pete, all things considered did work a pretty good at bat fouled off a lot of pitches. Right. Um, but Gary was talking about on the broadcast last night and uh, it was a quote from Dom Smith about, you know, his struggles with runners in scoring position and the guys that are doing so well with runners in scoring position on other teams and how they don't try to do too much. And they kind of just let the at-bat flow and they take it back and they just do whatever they can to get on base while not trying to do too much. And it just, it feels like every time Pete comes up in a big spot, his approach completely shifts and he tries to kill the ball and tries to hit three run homers and grand slams. And like, as nice as those things would be right now, we need little dinks and we need walks because we just need to push the lineup forward and just give ourselves chances by just getting one run on the board, not three. I mean, it's a weird thing to ask because you want as many runs as possible, but this Mets offense is not proficient at doing that. They're not proficient at slugging or getting big hits in big spots. But if they can keep the line moving, that stuff matters a little bit less. That's the way sure. I looked at it. Oh, definitely. And I think Rojas has talked about it a lot this year with regards to um, uh, connecting at bats. And at times when the Mets are doing well, that's you know, how they've done well is by connecting at bats and stringing together hits. Right. And it's funny because as of late, I've noticed Pete going to the opposite field a lot more. And in those two at bats on Wednesday, that's kind of what I saw was that he was trying to send it down the right field line because he kept on right. fouling pitches uh, back and to the, I guess, to, to his right. And it yeah. just almost seemed like he had an approach there um, when anything would do. But again, 
they, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, these are layman's eyes looking at the situation. But, yeah, yeah. you know, you'd hope that there would be more production in those spots. And it doesn't always work out like like we were saying. Right. Moving forward, and again, we're recording this before the uh, the West Coast gauntlet ends on Thursday. But, um, <laughs> oh, my goodness, <laughs> the, the Braves kind of get a taste of that um, into the weekend. They have the Giants right. at home for three. They have then they go directly to L.A. for three there. The and Mets, then I I should oh, mention. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Yeah. They, I should mention they also go to Coors Field right after they go to L.A. and Coors Field. Uh, holds the team with the best home record in baseball, even though the Rockies are not yeah. playing well this season. That is the toughest home team to face. So the Braves, even after playing the Giants in L.A., they don't get a break right after that. They have to go into the worst kind of situation to face the Rockies. They get to host the Rockies in a couple of weeks, but it's good. I It's honestly good for Mets fans that it's placed right here because, you know, the Braves could be due for a kind of a skid here after getting swept by the Yankees. But we'll see. No, I mean, and, and they're, I, I don't want to say they're due to be exposed, but, um, you know, 15 and three or however they started the month of August, that's, that's not sustainable. So, you yeah. know, they're bound to take a step back and the Mets have arguably their softest spot in the schedule all season. Um, yeah. Also coming at a really opportune time. Yep. Jolly, do you think this team has it in them to make a run here? Oh man, that's a, that's a, I, I, that's that's a, a big one. Question. I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's me and Jerry. If you've listened to Shea station, have been very optimistic and positive. And like, I've been a bit more realistic in recent episodes. Um, but a big thing for me was trying to get two out of three from the giants, which cannot happen now because we lost the first two. And it's looking like I, I said that if we can go 12 and six over the next 18, which was giants, then Nats, then Marlins, then Nats, then Marlins. If you can go 12 and six in that span, then you have a good shot. Now it's looking like the Mets just kind of need to mop up and get some sweeps and they need to go on a 2019-esque run where they went 15 and 1 and 16. And like, I don't know if this squad can do it because the 2019 squad was scoring a lot of runs. And like that bullpen was shaky, but it didn't really matter because they were they had five or six runs every game and everything was clicking. It's hard to sweep these teams if you have to rely on great starting performances and great bullpen performances every night, even though the Mets have been getting that. Um, and, you know, we lost three or four to the Marlins last time we played them. We haven't shown up great against the Nats either. So, like, on paper, this looks like a nice stretch for the Mets, but the Mets haven't proven that they can beat these bad teams yet. So, I like my, my confidence wavers every day. I've been a very optimistic Mets fan all season, uh, but I kind of needed a series win against San Fran when they were vulnerable rolling out these starting pitchers that are much more hittable than the three we saw before. And that just didn't happen. And like, it's hard to get this kind of run going without kickstarted momentum from a big series when like one against the best team in baseball. So I'm not feeling too hot about it. No, it's uh, I think my title at the Apple this morning was uh, not impossible, but highly improbable or something. Yeah, in effect. Um, a good one. It, you know, it, these things come to me. <laughs> uh, it, you know, the, I, I do want to say that the. This, the foundation's in place for the Mets to make a run. The offense is healthy. Again, everyone's right. back. There's going to be an adjustment period for Baez and Lindor coming back from, from injury. But, um, you know, if Pete continues hitting, if Nimmo keeps on getting on base, if Conforto's actually Michael Conforto again, right. that's, a, that's a nice head start. Um, mm-hmm. You'd hope to see Stroman continue his consistency, which is, you know, he, he's going to, if all keeps on pace, he's going to finish the season with a sub three ERA. It's very impressive. Yeah, it could be in that Cy Young conversation. You never know. Uh, I don't know if he'll win it, but. Oh, it's, I think it's down to Bueller and Wheeler at this point, yeah. but uh, he, he should be receiving votes if he continues on this, on this trajectory. Right. Right. Um, 
you know, everything really has to fall the Mets way. They, they need a lot of help. They need a lot of wins. It's, you know, it, it's, it's getting to that point where it's a, it's now or never. And really this is that point now, but I guess even after the season, if things don't fall the Mets way there, they're going to have decisions to make. Um, yeah. If you want to hang, hang tight for just a second, we're going to hear from our sponsors come right back and just kind of, I guess, dip our toe into those waters and see uh, what the Mets might be up against this winter. Hang tight. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, Again, we're here with Jolly Olive from the Shea Station podcast over at John Boy Media. We are talking about the Mets. uh, Very, very much an uphill climb from here on out. Uh, If things don't fall the Mets way, Jolly, the Mets have a lot of decisions to make this winter. Um, Of course, you can start with the free agents. You have your Michael Conforto, Marcus Stroman, Noah Syndergaard, Javi Baez. Even beyond that, there's a core that seems to be ineffective at times. Are you tearing this thing down? I guess first, what are you doing with the free agents? Do you have a, an initial course of action that you'd prefer the Mets take? So that is a good question. Um, I think, well, one, one thing to note about this free agent class is that it's very shortstop heavy with guys like uh, Correa and Baez and Seager, all available and Trevor story. You have a plethora of options and you now have the richest owner in baseball. So I'd assume this would be the year where you launch yourself into the largest payroll in baseball, whether that comes remains to be seen. I think a lot of Mets fans will be even angrier than they are now uh, if that doesn't come together. But the Mets, uh, the bottom line is that they need to make a big move. I personally have been seeing the idea of Nick Castellanos being floated around. And I like that if the DH comes back. I think the Mets need a bopper. They need a guy that can hit home runs because right now we only have one apparently. Uh, And then there's a couple other things you have to do with your own core. One being that you should extend a qualifying offer to Michael Conforto. A lot of people are saying they should let him walk. And I'm indifferent to that as well, because Conforto is just a very streaky season guy. It's kind of a frustrating guy to have on your roster. I will say that Conforto's had some pretty rough luck this year. I read a piece this morning from, uh, I think it was Fangraphs that uh, has him in the top 10 for biggest difference between expected OPS and actual OPS. So he's dealt with some hard luck this season. Um, I think that he'll take a QO if he gets it, because I think he wants to parlay a good season into getting that huge contract. I don't think he wants to take that offer now when his value is probably at its lowest and, you know, teams can offer him six years, six year deals from the cheap. Uh, I think Syndergaard would take a QO as well, uh, just because he missed the whole year. And I think the Mets would like to bring him back one more time. Uh, And then, you know, you have the core outside of that. And I think you have to start thinking of some potential trades. I mean, it's tough to, deal guys at their lowest value. And we've seen Dom Smith's value go way down and JD Davis go way down and all these things. But the the one thing I ask is that you get, or I guess the few things that I ask, I shouldn't say one, but one, you, you sign a big marquee free agent. Uh, my preference is Nick Castellanos. You could get one of the shortstop guys and maybe move them over to third. I'm honestly not attached to Javi Baez. If I'm being completely honest, I think Baez and Lindor are a fun middle infield dynamic, but Baez is not the kind of bat you need in a lineup because he struggles with the same things that every other hitter struggles with, which is getting on base and striking out too much. Um, so I'd say get one big free agent, extend the QOs to Conforto and Syndergaard, and then just preserve the bullpen uh, because the bullpen, this is the best Mets bullpen I've seen in my fandom of the team it is the most reliable bullpen we've ever had. It's the one with the most options, the one with the most different arm deliveries and different weapons and the guys that do different things. And they 
they've been the only one constant in the 2021 season. And you're going to need that because the best teams, the teams that win World Series always have reliable bullpens to fall back on. So that means you give loop the bag. You look at the other options that are there. But I think that if you can preserve this bullpen into next year, uh, that's a huge victory and one that you really have to look towards. I was honestly pleasantly surprised with how this bullpen uh, has fared throughout the entire season. And now I've become so attached to it that I'm going to want it every season. And I'm sure other Mets fans uh, feel the same way there. Oh, I, I think so. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I think if they weren't so, and I don't want to say taxed because their total innings don't, I mean, they, they match up. They're, they're towards the top of the league in total innings for right. the bullpen, but it's not glaring, but, you know, their, their, their usage has been so <clears throat> wacky just because of the, the starting pitching, not being able to go deep into games. And um, it lacks almost the structure that you're looking for from a bullpen. And, and under the circumstances, they've performed outstandingly. But you, you have to kind of um, wonder if the Mets reinforce that. I mean, as far as the core, um, I'm, I'm with you 100% on Conforto and Syndergaard. I, mm-hmm. I extend them both to QO. I also... I expect them both to um, accept the QO. Yeah. I, I do hope that Marcus Stroman gives the Mets a chance to uh, to be in the mm-hmm. mix. And, and I do, you know, when things are right, if you're paying Stroman to be your number two, number three, as, as you know, he was kind of pegged to be going into the year, and, and he certainly rose to the occasion, um, he's going to demand number two money. But I think that could be money well spent. He seems... Um, his game and his approach, and uh, it, it seems feasible over the long yeah. term. And, you know, if he's cool with a four-year deal, I think that's ideal for all parties involved. Um, just because of the, I guess, saturation of the shortstop market, Yeah, I think if Baez could be had at a reasonable price, and it, that's going to be a, a – <laughs> widely speculated number, but yeah, if, if he's available for a, for a reasonable price, that is someone that I, I keep in the fold just because, you know, it, it makes this lineup so much deeper, even if he does have his deficiencies. Um, I, I do think that the moves that they made this off season to kind of reinforce the roster and the pitching staff, once those injuries like the, the Petersons and the Lucchese's are healthy, I think that's going to give them more options. Um, you know, as far as Davis and, and Dom, who are probably your most glaring trade options, I'm probably in the school of thought that, you know, I'm, I'm with you. You don't trade, you know, you don't sell low on their value. If you can get a, a viable piece that makes your team better, I guess you have to entertain it. Uh, if the DH is in 2022, though, you also have to take that into consideration. So, oh, yeah, yeah the Mets are going to have a lot of decisions to make this offseason. For sure. And like you mentioned, like you can get bias at a cheaper price. I don't know how high bias value is right now. I would yeah. like to think that he'd want to stay with Lindor. Like that would be his preference. So maybe he right. would take it for cheaper. Also, if that meant that, you know, it freed us money to go get somebody else too to help them out. Um, and, you know, I, I saw the, the picture of the Puerto Rico team with Lindor. Baez and Carlos Correa all wearing, you know, the same beauty and, you know, all in the same field. And, you know, that would be an absolute dream for Mets fans for sure. How feasible that is, I'm not really sure, because that means the Mets are getting two of the top five shortstops on that free agent class, which, you know, if any team's going to do it, it's the team with the richest owner. But I don't know how likely that is. And I kind of think the money would be better spent on a guy that's really entering his prime, like Nick Castellanos. He's really having his best season and coming into his own. He is. Oh, I, you know, 
I like that Cincinnati team a lot. They've, yeah. I think they've, they've moved into that second wild card spot. They are, um, they're clicking at the right time. Luis Castillo's really turned his season around. He's back to the just mind blowingly good pitcher that he was. Yeah. I was uh, really I, confused when he was struggling. I couldn't believe it, honestly. Yeah. No, I think, you know, it, there's so much mechanic tinkering and adjustments being made through the season. All it takes is one little misstep to throw that out of whack. And then you got to, you know, find that, find that groove again. And I, I, you know, outside looking in, that's where I assume he was, but I'd be curious to see whether Cincinnati doesn't make a real push knowing that they do have a talented core and do all they can to keep Castellanos in the mix. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, Cincinnati's like, they're such, you know why I think we enjoy them, Tim? It's because they are the polar opposite of what our team is right now. They got a lineup <laughs> full of boppers. They got some uh, some overperforming guys, and you know they're hot right now. I think they they are the anti Mets, and I really enjoyed watching them. But I also kind of want to take some of their players and put them on my team. You know, <laughs> oh, to have a uh, to have a uh, an involved owner again. This is going to be fun. Oh yeah. Oh, man. Jolly, I can't thank you enough for taking time. Please, man, take a couple of minutes, plug the show, but let us know where to find you. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, So uh, if you don't follow me or don't know who I am, I'm Jolly Olive on YouTube and Twitter. Started out as like a baseball YouTube guy, but that's kind of parlayed into other things. I'm now a member of John Boy Media. I'm sure you've heard of them if you're a baseball fan. We just started a new Mets podcast. We're like five episodes deep. It's called Shea Station. You can find us on all platforms there. Uh, and yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's got former pitcher Jerry Blevins on it. If you're a Mets fan, I'm sure you know who that is. And uh, I just appreciate all the support. And I appreciate you, Tim, for having me on today. This was a lot of fun. Oh, this is a blast, man. I hope we can have you back. And if they do make a miracle run to the postseason, we'll definitely have you back. Oh, yeah, not, I'll be uh, back. If not during the winter, we will chat again, my man. Yes, sir. All right, everybody. Like you say, you know where to find Jolly. You know where to find us. Uh, you know, we're su- su- excuse me, subscribe, rate, and review as we always request you do. And uh, we'll see you next time. Let's go, Mets. Peace. Yeah!